that jarring cacophony can only mean one thing. You're back with the Power of Three podcast. We are a trio of grumpy, middle-aged Scottish Doctor Who fans who, every week, discuss, digest, digress and disagree as we talk about our favourite time-travelling hero and all forms of his adventures, whether on audio, comic strips, animations, novels, or very rarely, those magical moving pictures on the telly box. I'm Kenny Smith, and this week, at long last after a gap of almost two months, all three of us are back together. My maths are usually rubbish, unless it's expenses time at work. So, this is the power of one, two, three. So, let's introduce our very own number two. Hello, David Steele. Hello, Kenny. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. It's good to be here. And making it a happy family, it's the man who's a legend in his own bath time. Welcome back to our own interstellar vandal, Mr. Tom Harris. Sorry, I was, I was still laughing at David being called the number two. <laughs> How are you, you big interstellar vandal? I'm, 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 I'm bringing adult humour to this podcast and sophistication. <laughs> yes, hello, how are you? Very well indeed, Tom. All the better for hearing and seeing you. It's great to have you both here after your recent chat discussing the future of Doctor Who. I was actually a bit worried that the stands of the actress Jodie Whittaker might try to kill you or even worse. But no, you're both here live and kicking, well, which is great. I found, um, I found glass in my munchie box the other night, which was quite surprising. And then um, there was no toilet roll left this morning <laughs> when I for my ablutions. And there's no clean plates in the kitchen. I don't know what the hell's going on. Also, you two, you should better tell the listeners what happened after the last episodes. Yes, Tom and I recorded last Saturday afternoon the episode that came out Thursday just gone from when we recorded this one. Hadn't seen, we hadn't, you know, for whatever reason, hadn't seen each other in real life for months, but we did the remote recording as usual. And then about half seven, I took a, a mooch round to Lasani, uh, my preferred local takeaway, because, um, you know, I was a bit down last week, so I went cheering up, so I went in for a pizza and some pakora. And as I sat there, checking in that I was on Masani on Facebook. Who else should arrive at that esteemed establishment but our Tom Harris? And we had a, <laughs> we had a, a moment where I was sort of like, is that Tom? <laughs> and yeah, Tom, the last. Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Tom had a double take as if to say, is that Davy? So we, we took a selfie with um, Sultan who runs Lasani, which was absolutely hilarious, and met one of Tom's colleagues who was, who was also in Lasani, coincidentally. So it was, it was quite fun. It was a nice few minutes. Nice few minutes. It was quite, quite yeah, amusing. As, as a DVD extra goes, it's not up there, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fine. We could, you know, we've, I think we, we did tweet the photograph, so that works out as an extra bit of, you know, bonus content. Turns out that um, the man from Lasani has some really, really interesting ideas and how the second doctor was able to remember everything that he could remember in the five doctors. So we'll maybe get him on to have a chat about it. I think we can just be grateful that we don't charge for this. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, from a past episode to the present, and also going back to the past, this week we're going to be discussing three TV episodes from the 21st century, with the Ninth Doctor in The Unquiet Dead, the Eleventh Doctor in Vincent and the Doctor, and the Twelfth Doctor in Robot of Sherwood. And of course, going back to TV episodes can only mean one thing. Drumroll please, gentlemen. It's the return of entries from TARDISFANDOM.COM. So let's begin our journey through the ages with a trip back to the Victorian era and an encounter with Charles Dickens. Ready for this? 
Here we go. History. The stoops are getting lengthy again. She's up and on her feet and out there somewhere. Use the saint. Something terrible is happening in this house. Get me in the house! We descend! Tom, tell us about The Unquiet Dead. From TARDISFANDOM.com, The Unquiet Dead was the third episode of Series 1 of Doctor Who. It was the first episode of the BBC Wales series to be set in the past relative to the viewer. It was also the first since Time Lash to feature an extended encounter with a historical figure from Earth's past. From a production perspective, it was significant for being writer Mark Gatiss's first televised Doctor Who episode. This episode features the first appearance of the Cardiff space-time rift, which would reappear this series in Boomtown and become the initial focus of Torchwood. The mythos of the darkness and the big bad wolf would come to pass in Turn Left and The Parting of the Ways, respectively. Interesting. The darkness. So is that right? They were trying to... OK, that's something I've never picked up on, actually, to be honest. I didn't realise... I think it's a reference to the heavy metal band. Yes. <laughs> they, yeah, they were, still, they were still vaguely current in 2005, weren't they? Yeah. So The Unquiet Dead, yes. it was. I hadn't watched this in a very long time. Very nice to, to revisit it. I was really struck by how considered it seemed the the TARDIS scenes were were fascinating I was really impressed at how they sold the idea of Rose going back in time for the first time given so much emphasis it was it was lovely the whole um you know the Barbarella joke about the way she was dressed and going off and finding new clothes to wear and stepping out into the snow it was it was lovely it just reminded me so much of when when it came the program came back and they didn't assume anything from the audience and they just treated it as, you know, as if, you know, every episode could be any viewer's first episode and they should make it accessible and, and enjoyable. And it was it was lovely. Eccleston still buzzing, clearly, really enjoying himself. And and the Dickens stuff was really good as well. Um, I've read a lot of Dickens. I've read bits. I've read a few of his short stories and started a few of his books. I never finished any of them. Um, but it was very interesting seeing all that and very, very poignant the way it was dealt with how he died, like, you know, six, seven months later. Simon Callow's... Uh, you know, obviously a legend. I remember seeing him in a one-man show where he, he talked about Shakespeare, which was phenomenal. He got his autograph at the stage door afterwards, like a like a true fanboy. As Tom said there in his intro, the the stuff about the rift was really really interesting because that was obviously built on a great deal. And obviously, Eve Miles appears, who's going to become a you know a bigger player by getting the part of Gwen and Torchwood. So it was really interesting scene. I love the scene with her and Rose sort of chatting because that again, you know. You, you never really seem to get that sort of stuff in old Doctor Who when they went back in time. It was it was nice just to kind of get that almost culture clash sort of conversation. It was lovely. And it's interesting, it was obviously Mark Gates' first TV script. You know, name checks, one of his big finished stories. Phantasmagoria, which is quite funny. And the, the word that I really have for it all was just, I was really impressed at how considerate it was. The, the scenes where, um, where, you know, Eve Miles' character sort of sacrifices herself and they realised that she was dead almost as soon as she went into the arch. So, you know, was that her ghost that, you know, that, that lingered and kept it going? That was all really, really good. And I, I love the stuff about about the Time War, um, how that was carefully sort of seeded in. It's, I don't have a huge amount of to say about it beyond the fact that I was just really impressed by how 
by the obvious care that was taken with it. I mean, when this this episode was first shown, I think it was the was it the third? Yeah. Yeah, third new episode. So I mean, it was um, you know, I remember watching it almost with kind of bated breath, sort of praying that it would be good and that they wouldn't screw everything up. And it was it was glorious. It was really really nice to see it again. The the funny thing that I thought that I noticed was um all the jokes about it being set in Cardiff because there was quite a lot of those when it started and they kind of fell away. So I can imagine that perhaps maybe the Welsh audience thought this was this was hilarious. No, it was a lot of fun. It was it was really nice to watch it again because it was just obviously made with such care. Tom, what did you think? Um, it's one of my favourite, possibly my favourite from the first series. I, I just, I remember when it first went out, just thinking, oh, this is, I felt vindicated. I think I mentioned this in, in this podcast before, but it wasn't long into the relaunch series when I just thought, yes, I was right. And everyone who made fun of me for like Doctor Who is wrong uh, because it was cool again and, and yeah. children were getting excited about it and buying stuff in the shops and newspapers were taking it seriously. And, and this came out and for me, it was just perfect, almost perfect. I'll come on to my one criticism, but it was almost perfect. And, and more importantly, it was scary. That scene where the the re or the re uh, resurrected old lady sits in the audience in in, in Giles Dickens' lecture is genuinely creepy. I remember my wife saying, "Oh my God, that's scary," and it was. And it was just a wee reminder that that's what Doctor Who is supposed to be. It, it, the, you know, I think almost the entire point of it, and certainly the reason why people used to talk about the classic series wasn't actually because of its social conscience or because of its hardware or special effects. All it was about was about having to hide behind the sofa because the monster on the screen might get you. And I think at various points throughout the show's history that's been forgotten, but here Russell T. Davis absolutely was spot on and, and Gates's script is just beautiful. So I'll, I'll maybe come back to a small minor criticism later. Yeah, I mean, for me, this this is just sort of sets up what Mark Gatiss would do with every Doctor Who script he's done. He always gets the idea right. The central core of it, of a Mark Gatiss script is always good. You've got here, you've got gas ghosts taking over dead bodies. You look at the idiot's lantern, you've got face TV sucking your face off. And you just, you know, you go through them all and every single one has got a very good sort of strong central Doctor Who conceit and image at the heart of it. And I think it's a very, very good first Doctor Who script. I mean, this, the feel of it is great. I mean, it, it really should be a Christmas episode. Yes. With that tone and feel of it, it just, and it feels so Christmassy as well. And just, it does put me in the, the festive mood. Dave? Yeah, no, I think that's that's an excellent point. I know a lot of people have said that they, they include it when they're having a rewatch of Doctor Who Christmas episodes, that that's one that they include. And it's nice that the, even though it wasn't shown at Christmas, that the ninth Doctor got a Christmas episode. No, that's, that's, that's an excellent point, yeah. yeah. I assume at the time that although... Well, yeah, when they, certainly when they made it, they weren't sure if it was going to get a second series or not. And they certainly didn't anticipate having uh, annual Christmas episodes. So it wouldn't have crossed Russell T. Davis' mind to look at this script and say, no, let's let's leave that for the Christmas special. Because that wasn't on the radar at the time, I guess. No. No, absolutely. No, definitely. I like the fact there's also some of the... It's sort of like there's some sort of proper stuff in there, sort of like when Sneed has a, he cops a feel of rose when she's unconscious and the fact she comments on it. You like that? I think that just, no, no, I'm you just like saying that. It's, it's, there's, 
I like the fact that there's a bit of social realism in there, whereas in previous Doctor Who, that wouldn't have popped up, whereas if Perry had been knocked unconscious, you can't imagine her saying something like that, but this just sort of sets things apart to show that it's very much uh, sort of a bit more real world in its approach. Yeah, that's fair. What what I really liked, you know, I forgot to mention, was um, I liked all the death. <laughs> Proper Doctor Who. <laughs> You know, like the, the granny coming back to, you know, being reanimated and killing the grandson and then she says Sneed getting killed and they're down in the, the sort of, um, they're in the mortuary sort of, or whatever section. You know, it's, it feels like nowadays they've got a bit shy about death and Doctor Who or that people always come back to life straight away afterwards. So it was this felt like, you know, proper old school Doctor Who where it starts off, someone dies horribly, then the Doctor and his companion arrive to sort of fix it. So it was, it was good for all that, yeah. You know yep. that in a few years' time, Davey, Kenny and I will be interviewed by television news and we'll just have to say, yeah, he was very quiet. He kept himself to himself. <laughs> Absolutely. I've had to post that disclaimer so many times over the years. You know, it, was, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was the other two. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great episode. And as you mentioned, Dave, there's a wee mention of Phantasmagoria, which is a deliberate reference to his big finished script. So, yes, I all in all, I love it. Tom, what was your minor truck with it? A couple of issues. Uh, one is with this episode and one is with a subsequent episode that relates to this. First of all, and uh, you forgive me because, as I said before we started recording this episode, I didn't actually get around to re-watching this, so it's been a long time since I've actually seen this. But what I remember about the big reveal that these monsters, what were they called? The Gelf. The Pity Gelf. the Gelf. I like the Gelf. I like the name the Gelf. I thought that was quite good. But from my memory, the first time that the Doctor even suspects that the Gelf are up to no good is when they change from nice angelic spiritual creatures to grow horns and ugly smiles. And based on that change of appearance, he says, oh, they must be bad. Now, am I misremembering that? Because if it is true, then basically what, you know, it's, it, it turns uh, Galaxy 4 completely on its head. Galaxy 4 was this idea that you don't judge on appearances. You know, just because someone looks monstrous, you don't assume that they've got bad motives. Whereas in The Unquiet Dead, once again, from what I remember, there was a, 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 a crucial plot point revolved around on their appearance. And I don't think that was a particularly great example of storytelling, if, that, if, if my memory is correct. Yep, it's when she goes through the arc and makes the connection, then they go from a nice, pleasant blue to become a, a yeah. fiery red colour. Incidentally, I have the collect and build character options figure of the Gelf, because I'm so sad. Um, but yes, I, you're absolutely I, right. I never doubted it for a minute, Kenny, that you would have that. <laughs> it's interesting that, because I think it highlights how the Doctor was so keen to help them. He obviously has that Time War Survivor's Guilt thing going on, so it maybe he didn't even feel seem suspicious of the girl for their motives you know so it's, it maybe paints him as being quite naive at this point in his in his timeline i suppose or as i say maybe just carrying survivor guilt too much that's 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 a good point yeah the other reservation i've got and it's not actually about this episode in fact i've just realized it's not even a, about a future episode of dr root it's about the future episode of torchwood the reason eve miles was cast in torchwood was not because uh, a distant uh, an old ancestor worked uh, in domestic service in Cardiff is because she's a good actor. And I think sometimes Doctor Who gets too self-referential about plot points and canon. And it's like when, uh, when, when Martha tells the Doctor that a cousin worked in Canary yeah. Wharf 
before the yeah. Dalek Cyberman uh, battle. There's no need. We understand the process of casting actors. You know, the, the 12th Doctor took his face from uh, a Scottish actor because that Scottish actor happened to get the part. Not because, you know, uh, he remembered an adventure in Pompeii mm. when he wanted to emulate the kindness of a particular Roman oh. person. You know? Oh, I hated all that. Just, I really did. Just <laughs> cast people, give them the lines, let them act out. You don't have to create all this continuity just because the same actor happened to be cast in an earlier episode. That, that just annoys yeah. me a little bit. It was that bit, and it's that, isn't it, the tail end of the stolen off Johnny's end, whatever it was, when when Torch would pop up in the TARDIS screen and the Doctor and Rose make a comment about having, you know, did she have an ancestor or whatever? You know, ah, that's what it is. Certainly yeah, right. 21st century, you know, Eve Miles playing Gwen Cooper doesn't look anything like 19th century Eve Miles. And I just, I remember just being like, no! <laughs> that is, yeah. that's the sort Still got the teeth, though. People get too, too obsessed over. And I, I remember at the time it took me out of it. I was just like, oh, come yeah. on, you're joking. Yeah. No, I agree. Right. Strong agree. Okay, that's me. Well, that was The Unquiet Dead, which I think we can pretty much unanimously say is one that we all definitely enjoyed. So let's skip forward in time some 20 years in terms of storytelling to 1890 as we make a trip with the 11th Doctor and Amy Pond to meet artist Vincent van Gogh. To me, Van Gogh is the finest painter in the world. Look there, in the window of the church. Is it a face? Yeah, and not a nice face at all. We need to talk to Vincent van Gogh. Thank you, thank you. So much more to the world than the average eyes allowed to see. Who could have done this? The eyes of mercy. If we're not careful, the net result of our present little trip will be the brutal murder of the greatest artist who ever lived. Will end. Doctor! Amy! No, no, no! It will not end well. Right, Kerry, you'd better, you'd better read the TARDIS fandom then. What delights does it have for us? Well, it tells us that Vincent and the Doctor was the 10th episode of Series 5 of Doctor Who. It saw the Doctor befriend another famous figure in Vincent van Gogh and explored the lead up to his suicide. In Doctor Who Confidential, it's said that this episode shows how Doctor Who has heart, unlike most science fiction stories which leave out the compassion stroke humanity. It was also the intention to introduce the concept of mental illness to a younger audience so they could grow up with the knowledge that they needed to be patient and understanding with those who were affected with it. It also marked another of the few times that the Doctor was unable to save a life, although in this case it was because Vincent was tormented by inner demons that even the Time Lord couldn't reach. Quotes, the Doctor cannot, open brackets, always close brackets, save someone from, open brackets, themselves, close brackets, end quotes. Along with Amy's choice, this story neither features a crack in time, nor does it make any mention to the silence. However, Rory's absence is alluded to, giving the episode a defined place in the season's story arc. The episode's addressment of mental health prompted the inclusion of a BBC Action Line tag at the end of the episode upon its original broadcast. Tom. Vincent and the Doctor. Just as The Unquiet Dead was my favourite episode from the first season, Vincent and the Doctor is certainly in the running for my favourite episode of the fifth season. And it's partly because my wife, Carolyn, 
loves it a lot. When I watched it again the other night, she was about to go to her bed, but she stood or she sat on the, on the stairs and, and watched the telly through the open door because she loves the, the final scene where Bill Nye uh, explains unknowingly to, to Van Gogh himself about the, the status that Van Gogh has in the, in the artistic establishment. And it's a very moving scene. So in general, I, I remember, I'll, dro I'll drop a clanger here, I, I went to uh, an event in Parliament just before the 2010 election. I was uh, in Parliament. There was an event that Richard Curtis was speaking at as part of a campaign by a number of lovies to persuade the government to introduce an international tr financial transaction tax. And I won't go into the details of that. Uh, let me just say that the case that they made was not particularly convincing. But anyway, he showed us a short film, which starred Bill Nye, funnily enough. And then he took questions. But at the end, as we were going out, I was really quite keen to speak to him because I had heard that he was writing an episode of of Doctor Who. But he, and he was really chuffed that, to be asked about it, actually. It was just a private conversation. <laughs> And he told me a little bit about the story and about what it was about. I didn't know anything about it at the time. So he told me it was about Van Gogh and, and told me a little bit about the, the ideas behind it. So that was my introduction to it. Just an opportunity to drop a drop a name. And and it, it, it did turn out to, I think it is really sensitive. I was struck by how young Matt Smith looks in it, actually. I, I'd, he must have aged quite a bit in the three years that he played the Doctor. Because in the first season, I just realised he does look really, really young. He still acts old, which is great, but I, I was struck by how, how young he looked. Um, so, first of all, Tony Curran as Vincent is just perfect. Why he has, I don't know if he has ever played Van Gogh before, but he should have. He is just... He is Van Gogh. He just looks perfect. And I love the... The idea that to French people, a Dutch accent was similar to English people listening to a Scottish accent. I think that was a really clever idea uh, when Van Gogh mistakes Amy for having come from, from Holland as well. And, and that's just a, a nice little touch. One problem, I think, is the name of the episode, Vincent and the Doctor. They really couldn't come up with a better name than that. I mean, can you imagine if they called every episode Guest Character of the Week and the Doctor? <laughs> um, they, 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 they could have called it Starry Night or they could have called it Te Terror at Overs which is the name of the church the famous painter mm -hmm. uh, but D Vincent and the Doctor yeah, okay. I think it actually comes from a book Tom, I think oh, it was right. about Vincent and, it's, and it comes from Vincent and somebody else, I can't remember it off the top of my head but well I'm that sure just shows you my ignorance something then. like that I should have known that Richard Curtis would have a very good reason for doing it, but I didn't know that. I am completely uncultured. I knew nothing about Van Gogh until recently, this in the last few weeks, I went to the Van Gogh exhibition in London, which was just astonishing. It was absolutely brilliant if you ever get a chance to, to go. And of course, during the exhibition, every time I looked at Van Gogh's face, I thought, there's Tony Curran. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take a hit on that one. I still prefer terror at Over. And also like the idea that there's none of this fixed point in time nonsense. You know, it doesn't get caught up in its own canon and its own rules about, you know, you can't change a fixed point in time. It's almost like a standalone episode of what two ordinary people would do if they accidentally found themselves transported back in time and met Vincent van Gogh. And how would, and if they really liked him, how would they stop him dying? Because 
you know, obviously the doctor wouldn't lead Amy to believe that they could change time. He wouldn't have taken him forward in time to listen to a modern uh, art expert explain the historical importance of, of Van Gogh's work. He just wouldn't have done that. And he certainly wouldn't have done it with the expectation that that would have changed history and Van Gogh wouldn't have killed himself. But it was lovely that they did it because that's what we all would do. You know, we're not time lost. We, well, so is the doctor, neither is the doctor these days, but you get my point. And, and I just think it didn't allow itself to be, to be uh, you know, befuddled with all, you know, wrapped up in all of that old, the old rules of the game. So I, I like that. The other comment I would just say is that it was a real double downer at the end. I mean, really, yeah. you're not only does the alien die and you begin to feel some sympathy for the alien when you find out that it's, that it's stranded on Earth and it's blind and then it dies and, and there's a real regret with the Doctor that it dies and then Vincent dies. Amy doesn't even know that Rory ever existed. I mean, geez, no wonder they're offering advice to people with mental health problems at the end. So that's, that's my considered verdict. Dave, what's your thoughts? It's one of my favourite episodes I'm, of that series. I think my favourite Matt Smith series is his first. There's, there's a lot of really good stories in it. I think it casts quite a long shadow as an episode. You mentioned in the intro the, the helpline number given up at the end, and I wonder if this is the beginning of when, you know, Doctor Who was seen as some sort of comfort blanket rather than just, you know, entertainment. You know, Tom and I alluded to such things in the last episode. It's um, It casts a long shadow. I mean, I'm not a fan of the... It's very Richard Courtesy to have the sort of song over playing over the, the scenes of Vincent looking at his, his work mm. in the museum. You know, that that was... It's the sort of thing I don't think Doctor Who should really do very often. It's not really a Doctor Who thing. It kind of breaks the, the narrative style too much. Do it once and it's fine. It's a beautiful story. It really is. I remember being very, very affected by it when it was first on. Um, delighted at seeing William Hartnell's face being printed out on the, on the TARDIS console. Remember, really being pleased at that because Bill pops up something like four or five times in Matt's first series, which I really like. The fate of the monster is, is tragic. It really is, you know, um, especially when Matt is sort of reporting what it's saying. I, I was, I was, um, I blubbed. <laughs> I won't lie, I blubbed tons the first time I saw it. And obviously, you know, as, as Tom said, the um, the fate of Vincent. There's, there's some beautiful lines in it. I love when when some lines, which I'm I'm afraid, you know, I'm not afraid to admit that I've taken great solace in over the years. There's, when the doctor's saying to Amy to reassure her about, you know, everyone's life is a pile of good things and bad things. I think that speech is, is gorgeous. It's, it's really, really nice. It's, it could have been overplayed. It could have been overstated. It could have been over cheesy and over sentimental, but, you know, Matt Smith plays it perfectly. I think the location work in the story is phenomenal. There's a lot of really good location work in, in Matt's first series. Where, where, um, where was it filmed? That was in Croatia. Or was it? Right. They double banked it with Myers of Venice. Right. Yeah. I'm much more of a constable man myself than a Van Gogh man, but there was a glorious period, I think about seven or eight years ago, I think, when the National Gallery had two of the Vincent Sunflower paintings side by side. I remember being down for, for I, think, was it, I think it was when I was down seeing Rodriguez at, um, in, in London and a drive my flatmate into a look because I've been down earlier. I've been down the week before to see something at the Globe and dragged Danny into have a look at like, like one. Danny could not give a monkeys about seeing two Vincent Van Gogh sunflowers side by side. But I was like, no, look, come on. When are you going to get a chance to see this? And that, that was really good. So I certainly got a bit more of a, an appreciation for him as an artist 
there's some really good stuff. I love the scene when they're all lying and looking up at the sky and it come, the, the, you know, the stars come to life. It's, it's, I think it genuinely think it's one of the best Doctor Who stories ever made. Bill Nyatt, you know, is, is, is tremendous in his little cameos. Tony Curran is phenomenal. Um, I could list so many of his lines, which just cut me to the quick. That it's, it's just so well done. But as I say, I think it casts a long shadow. You know, there was the episode last, last year, Can You Hear Me?, which also addressed mental health. But as I said, when Tom and I were talking last week, you know, did it with all the, the subtlety of a sledgehammer to the face. This is a very, very, Vincent the Doctor is a much, much better way of, does a much better job, I should say, sorry, of addressing these sort of serious issues without over-egging it and without, you know, ramming it down your throat. It's a masterpiece. It's definitely one of the best Doctor Who stories. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I completely concur with everything that you've said. I think it is a wonderful story. Well, when I was growing up, Vincent van Gogh was the artist who cut his ear off, and that was pretty much all that I knew about him, apart from the fact that he was the guy who painted the sunflowers, and that was it. And then watched this one, and like, bloody hell, there's a lot more to this guy, so I did a lot more reading about him, and thought, yeah, there's a hell of a lot going on here, particularly with his dealing with depression and this was seven years before I had my own rush with it when I was out of work and had to leave a job when I didn't particularly want to and this was actually the first time I've watched it since I had that which made it very very interesting and the scene where you've got Vincent in his bed just racked and just not wanting to move and just just wanting to be left alone I mean just to my you guys will see it here obviously want to home but see this corner here I had days like that where I would get up in the morning, get Katie to school, and then I would be in that corner feeling absolutely dreadful and completely worthless. And I would be there pretty much for hours on end. And watching that actually brought all that back. So it was very, very, very painful actually watching that the other night. But at the same time, it was just like minutes later, we've got Vincent comes bounding down the stairs and off they go on an adventure and think, bloody hells. That's exactly what I would do some days. I would just snap out of it just like that because I think, oh, let's go and do something. So it's very, very interesting you know, watching it, having gone through that myself. And thankfully, you know, I'm completely off on medications. And once I got my new job, I was off. And with, I did think long and hard about, do I bring this all up? And I thought, no, I probably should because it's something that's that's relevant just so you know you can sort of go through that and experience it. And then oh, no, I think it's valuable. A slightly odd grin. No, that's good. I very much got this episode in a way that I had never had before. And just that that whole thing, just think, just think, God, I wish somebody had been there to help Vincent, you know, just to, you know, help him through that. And what, you know, just what beauty you could have created. So, yeah, I mean, just Dave mentioned the, the scene with the night sky coming alive, was we see it through Vincent's eyes, which was just incredible. Uh, fantastic work from... Uh, the director Johnny Campbell, um, and just some of the other shots in there, like you know Amy going with the sunflowers, and getting Vincent to paint them, and he's like, oh, I'm not that bothered about them. And then some of the other bits, like the like the cafe outside and beautifully lit, and then we see that in the background in one of his paintings. I think, yeah, this this episode's been done as a labour of love, and it very much came across that way. The relationship between Amy and Vincent is just incredible. I think the fact that they're they're both Scots with red hair makes it that um, extra wee bit of uh, fun as well but for me it is definitely one of my top five all-time Doctor Who stories and re-watching it this week's just cemented how I feel about it. I did check 
when when at the end when they look at the uh, the sunflowers, and it says for Amy Vincent, um, I thought, well, wouldn't that be nice if it turned out that the sunflowers actually did have for Amy, whoever Amy was, uh, and I did check it on uh, on Google, and sadly, no, it just says Vincent on it. it doesn't say for Amy. Well, the thing is, he did paint several very similar paintings of the see the National Gallery at that point had two side by side. Mm. Um, and it was fun to sort of stand and look at them and notice the differences. So yeah, maybe one of them has, yeah. That'd be yeah, good. You never know. Well, that's Vincent and the Doctor. Thank you, gentlemen. So, to round off this week's trip through time and space, let's head to Sherwood Forest as the 12th Doctor and Clara encounter Robin Hood and Robot of Sherwood. There is someone that I always wanted to meet. It's Robin Hood. No damsels in distress! Seize him! No pushy castles. No such thing as Robin Hood. Dave, what does TARDIS fandom tell us? TARDIS fandom tells us bugger all. Robot of Sherwood was the third episode of Series 8 of Doctor Who. It explored themes based on the idea of legends. And that's your lot before your synopsis and your plot. <laughs> that's Amazing. a fascinating insight. Amazing. Well done, TARDIS fandom. You earned your money that day. Yes, this was an interesting one, as I've not watched this one in absolutely ages, because I just, I, for some reason at the time, I thought, hmm, not so bothered about this one, which is a bit unusual because I absolutely love Errol Flynn as Robin Hood, and that was one of my favourite films growing up. It was one of my dad's favourite films, and we used to watch The Adventures of Robin Hood on a regular basis. So having Doctor Who meet him was slightly unusual. I love the whole idea of the fact that you've got the Doctor right at the start. The Doctor says that old-fashioned heroes belong in old-fashioned books, before Clara pointing out that the Doctor's in lots of books, fiction and non-fiction, making the thing quite meta in that, which I quite enjoyed. Got the doctor goes out um, early doors. He they encounter Rob pretty much straight away as an arrow land in Tardis, and I really quite like that. We've got the the look in the doctor's face, quite indignant that somebody's damaging his lovely new police box, and uh, then they have that duel on the log, and the doctor uses a spoon to fight back with it, which I think is such a doctory thing to do. And Robin ends up the water, and then before long, so does the doctor after Robin falls in it, fall, has fallen in. Clara looking absolutely amazing uh, with her red dress on, sort of uh, almost ruling it. And then, of course, we get the Sheriff of Nottingham wanting to do his evil guy stuff. And Ben Miller, doesn't he look like Anthony Ainley? Quite uncanny at times, almost. And just as ridiculous as Anthony Ainley, one could say. You wouldn't have been surprised if this had actually been Anthony Ainley master in disguise for no apparent reason. It's We've got the whole thing played on myths and legends and... Uh, the Doctor throughout thinks that Robin is a robot of some sort and they have a, some wonderfully bitchy stuff as they're chained up together and having an argument and trying to do the one-upmanship and then somebody comes to take one of them away and it actually ends up being Clara who's removed from the room, leaving the other two behind, which is quite funny. Not what you expect at all. And uh, ultimately find out that it's the Sheriff of Nottingham is the type bad guy and uh, looking for gold so he can leave the planet. And that's why he's been taking it from all around. It's I think it's a fairly... Fairly simple concept. Mark Gatiss, I think, having a lot of fun with it. Uh, we get some sort of nods to Richard the Lionheart in there, a bit of Serrano de Bergerac and uh, 
I think it, for me, it's a good fun episode. It's not one to take too seriously, but it does. You do start to wonder, sort of, you know, at what point does the Doctor become a part of the mythology of the country? And I think it's fair to say that he's already there, without a doubt, in Britain. A bit like a Robin Hood or a Sherlock Holmes or even a James Bond. I think that's his, uh, his importance there. Some interesting performances in there as well. Ben Miller's great. The gentleman who's playing Robin, Tom Riley. I don't know what else he's been in, but uh, he's all right. He's, he, he didn't grab me as being a sort of dominating guest star in the way that we've had you know, some people come in and absolutely steal the show. But he's not bad. And you've, you've got the Merry Men. You've got Mark Gates's husband as Alan Dale and uh, little John Rusty Goff, who many of you will probably remember from doing the, the weather on TV when he used to do it on a trampoline. Live TV, that was it, wasn't it? And generally, it's I think it's a fun story. It's not the greatest, but it hits the right buttons for me, and it's a bit of a crowd pleaser. should also mention the direction of it is fantastic. Uh, Paul Murphy did a great job. On it. it does look very cinematic and yeah really really i really enjoyed it watching it. i think after watching vincent the doctor sort of oh but this one is just sheer fun what about you tom what do you recall of it i well i think the main thing i recall about it is hating it <laughs> um and i've never watched it since because i thought it was a pile of shite um <laughs> i I I remember someone telling me afterwards, I think that somebody told me that um, the reason that it didn't make any sense at all is because of some bad editing, uh, which is a poor excuse. I mean, I'm sure that might be the case, but I didn't bother rewatching it for, for this podcast. I apologize for that. It's been a busy couple of weeks, but I'm kind of glad I missed having to. The only bit I remember really enjoying was a, a line of dialogue at the very beginning when Capaldi mentioned something about punching Robin of Sherwood in the face. <laughs> and I remember bursting out laughing at that and thinking that was brilliant because I actually am one of the few people that liked Capaldi in his early days when he was really short-tempered and, and belligerent. And I, I just liked that aspect of his character and, and I preferred it to his later kind of cuddly uh, type. But, he made it very Glaswegian. Yeah, well, maybe that was it actually, and I, I just thought this 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 doesn't engage me at all. I mean, the the clue to what's happening is in the title, I suppose, and we know it's a robot. But to this day, I've never quite worked out what the hell was going on, and the, and if it was a slightly better episode, I would maybe make an effort to try and find out. But I can't be bothered because I don't care. Dave, you've been on the record as not being the greatest fan of the first oh. Capaldi season. So where did you stand in this one? And were you able to take any joy from it, Dave? It was interesting. When Tom and I were, were chatting the other day, and so Tom was asking for a reminder of which one we were doing, and I said, you know, blah, 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 and Robert Sherwood, and Tom said, oh, oh, and I went, ah. And we immediately cut ourselves off because we didn't want the conversation then that we might end up having when we were recording together. However... <laughs> watching it again I reassessed this episode quite enormously no I'm not, I was not not a fan of um, the first Capaldi, first couple of Capaldi series I hadn't I'm pretty sure I hadn't watched this episode since 2014 I do, rem I do remember saying at the time that my favourite episodes of Capaldi's first series were probably the Dalek one and the Robin Hood one but I'm afraid in my opinion completely changed <laughs> after I watched it <laughs> the other night. I thought it was terrible. 
we've already talked about Mark Gatiss's the first sort of doc, televised Doctor Who script. And I think by this point, and I love Mark Gatiss, I'm a huge, huge fan. He's a very nice man. I'm a great fan of his work. I think he's, by this point, he's degenerated into parody, almost. It's almost like he just sort of takes a situation and writes the Mark Gatiss homage to it. Um, that seems to be the priority. I cringed for the majority of it, unfortunately. It was too heightened. It was too, like, the, the I thought the scene... The scene at the beginning when the doctor, hit, I, I'm the doctor and I have a spoon and and the fights. I I was, I almost cringed inside out from embarrassment. I thought it was excruciating. I remember thinking that the first time I watched it, thinking that the scenes of the doctor and Robin bickering in the the prison cell were quite funny. And this time, yeah, they were still quite funny. But the only thing I was receiving was once again, we've got an episode. You know, that whole first couple of Capaldi series, it was like, a, as I've said a hundred times before, it was a it was a relationship sitcom about a middle-aged man trying to get off with his secretary and get annoyed at any other guy who got in the way. And this was this time, instead of it being Danny Pink, that the Doctor was getting annoyed about getting between him and Clara, it was Robin Hood. So it was, again, it was, I was like, oh my God, I'd forgotten that all that bit in it. I thought it was, in, and what Tom was saying about bad editing, my understanding is there's a scene where the, the Ben Miller Sheriff of Nottingham robot is decapitated, which was cut because there had been an unpleasantness in real life. Maybe the week of this had gone out. I can't remember the details. So that was edited to, you know, to avoid, um, you know, upsetting anyone or saying it's feeling anyone's feelings. So I'm not, I, I'm sure I've seen the scene somewhere. I'm not sure. It's on that. It was an uncut version of it. Yeah, the uncut version leaked. It came from a TV station in America, I think, before the episodes had been screened on TV or anything like that. And you got a time-coded version showing this scene. And I think you can still find it on YouTube. Right, that's maybe what, what I'm thinking of then. It's, you know, it's the sort of thing, see if it had been a, a Tenth Doctor episode, I probably would have enjoyed it because, you know, the, the the you know maybe one of Gareth's episodes for the where it was slightly sort of heightened you know the the um the slightly unreality of it. It's interesting. I mean, we haven't mentioned that the photograph of Patrick Troughton popping up as Robin Hood is a lovely little metatextual touch. I was surprised. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I was surprised at how much my opinion on it changed from what I remembered of it. I don't want to be totally down on it because it looks lovely and it's probably a lot of fun, but I I felt that. It was too obvious that everyone was acting and trying too hard to make it whimsical and light and silly. It's the sort of thing that I feel, you know, if it had been the Tenth Doctor and Donna, it would have been effortless and everyone would love it. But I just thought, no, you're trying too hard. I'm not convinced. And, oh, God, could it stop? Please stop being about the Doctor and Clark. So, no, it kind of, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Didn't even take joy from the the arrow scene, the bow and arrow scene, with and then the doctor blows it up at the end. Oh, no, I was just irritated. No soul, sir. I was just <laughs> irritated. You know, it, it's funny. It's, it's just I did not expect to dislike it as much as I did. When, when Tom said, when Tom told me, he thought it was like one of the, his least favorite episode of the modern Doctor Who series. I laughed and I thought, all oh, right, it's not that bad. And then I watched it and I thought, oh, this is murder. <laughs> Interesting. So sorry, Ken. I tried. Oh, you did. You're very trying, Dave. On Twitter, I recently asked, what's your thoughts on Doctor Who and the Unquiet Dead, Vincent and the Doctor and Robot of Sherwood? John J. Johnson said, they're not history. Ask me about the Mythmakers. That's history in every possible way. But 
primarily myth. Thank you, John. Natalie V. Sharp says, Unquiet Dead, solid classic. Vincent and the Doctor, a bit exploitative. Robot of Sherwood, a bit shit. Of this trio, John Porter says, On every Christmas, that'll be the Unquiet Dead. Can't abide it, which I'd assume would be Vincent the Doctor, and would like to see the original cut, which one must assume is Robot of Sherwood. The Metal Hoovian says, Love seeing the Doctor being a fanboy in The Unquiet Dead. Vincent and the Doctor is one of the finest pieces of television, and Robot of Sherwood is a fun romp that has some great comical moments, and Clara's lovely red dress. Steve Higgins says, Vincent and the Doctor is so beautifully acted, the story and characters so well crafted, that it's an absolute classic. On the opposite end, I find Robot of Sherwood to be utterly forgettable. Those early Capaldi episodes feel like Moffat hadn't figured out the character of his Doctor yet. The Watcher 1963 says, I was surprised the unedited Robot of Sherwood wasn't on the DVD release. The Unquiet Dead is one of the best Christmas specials. And Vincent is how you handle mental health issues, not like series 12. Rob at Digi1701 says, All are good, but Vincent and the Doctor, between what it has to say about mental health, Tony Curran's captivating and crushing performance, and the visual techniques, i.e. the scenes of the world through Van Gogh's eyes, in the style of his art, it's a modern Doctor Who masterpiece. And Pete Deller says, Interesting trio. Unquiet Dead did a big job for the relaunch in terms of travel to the past and being scary. Vincent shows a series confident enough to get a big name to do something so mature. Robot tried to be escapism, but crashed into horrid reality and was uneven in tone. Thank you very much, everyone, for sending us your thoughts. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod with the number three rather than written out in full. And we also have a Facebook page. So please feel free to pop by, like the page, and share your thoughts on our episodes. Tom, before we go, tell us about the Imposter Podcast in less than 20 seconds. The Imposter Podcast is uh, 15, 20 minute episodes of me basically recounting my time in politics overshadowed by the dread feeling that I was completely out of my depth throughout the entirety of it. Excellent. Very well done. Mr. Steele, you best to explain what Earth 2 Podcast is. The Earth 2 Podcast is a more or less chronological journey through the DC Comics multiverse from the, the early days of Flash of Two Worlds up to Crisis on Infinite Earths. There you go. Very good. And I'll give my other podcast a quick plug. It's Piece of the Eighth, which I co-host and we look at the adventures of the Eighth Doctor in all media. And we've just concluded our first 13 episodes with a double episode chat with TV movie executive producer Philip Siegel. And we'll be back soon with another run of episodes. So, Mr. Harris, it's time to say your farewells. Goodbye. <laughs> From me, Kenny, it's time to say goodbye. Bye-bye. And before he says farewell, I have to ask our regular final question. Dave, <laughs> what do we have to play us out today? Kenny, I have no idea what we're playing out with today, but I'll say goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening and fire it back to Kenny because I have no idea. I don't know. What are we doing? <laughs> oh, here we go. You're going to hear it right now. i
you did. 